You are listening to the Pituitary Podcast, exclusively produced by Pituitary World News. I'm Jorge Fascinetti. Welcome. Hi, everyone. We are podcasting from Barcelona, Spain, and we're here to participate in the Spanish Society of Endocrinology Annual Congress. In Spanish, this is La Sociedad Española de Endocrinología y Nutrición, or SEN, or S-E-E-N. We'll put a link to the website so that you can look at it. Uh, obviously, if you speak Spanish, it will be a good resource for you to get another perspective on endocrine and pituitary disease from really an excellent organization and, and with uh, world-renowned Spanish physicians and scientists. This is our third Congress in Spain since we founded Pituitary World News in 2014. Spanish-speaking countries, but uh, Spain in particular, uh, have been uh, of uh, interest to us as we seek to develop original content for our edition of Pituitary World News in Espanol which we started publishing in spring of uh, 2021, but had to somewhat slow down due to the challenges posed by the COVID, uh, COVID pandemic. I should mention, however, that we've been working hard since October of last year to revitalize the edition and plans to start an aggressive publishing schedule by late spring or summer of 2024. I'm in the Barcelona International Conference Center main auditorium where I just picked up my press credentials and said hi to a few people. There are easily eight to nine hundred people in the audience and I assume mostly these are physicians and other healthcare pros learning about endocrine disruptors. I moved to the press conference where uh, Dr. Javier Escalada, who is the president of the society, is discussing the topics for the conference, which, in addition to pituitary disease, include really important issues like sustainable healthy nutrition strategies, endocrine disruptors, and obesity, which I am told in Spain like in many places, is reaching epidemic proportions. Coming up in our podcast, my discussion about pituitary disease, muscles and bones with Dr. Elena Valassi, an update on the face recognition project in Acromegaly with Dr. Manel Puig Domingo, and life as a professor of endocrinology after 50 years of clinical practice and research with my good friend, Dr. Javier Salvador. We caught up with Dr. Elena Velassi, who's a consultant endocrinologist at the Hospital Universitari Germans Trias y Pujol in Barcelona, and associate professor of endocrinology at the International University of Catalonia. Dr. Velassi is an outstanding endocrinology and researcher. We published several articles about her studies on how muscles and tissues and bones are affected by acromegaly and Cushing's. If you want to learn more about Dr. Velassi's work, we added a link to the article for this podcast. Uh, in this chat, she gave us an update of that research, 
in, the, in this uh, critical subject for pituitary patients. So now we, yeah. we are working on uh, bone quality in patients with Cushing syndrome. So we are asking ourselves, our hypothesis was that, uh, uh, was that uh, bone quality remains impaired long term after cure of uh, Cushing syndrome. Yeah. So in collaboration with the Polytechnic of uh, Catalonia, so the biomaterials engineers, uh, we have assessed uh, several parameters uh, of bone quality using the finite element analysis applied to QCT, uh, the quantitative uh, computerized tomography. Yeah. So we actually demonstrated that uh, there is an impairment, a persistent impairment of bone in patients in compared with uh, healthy controls. Uh, in terms of many, uh, many parameters, uh, parameters of uh, instability, uh, parameters of uh, stress strain. So I think it's very interesting and this is particularly evident uh, in uh, aged person, uh, in uh, yeah, the old, old, older, older. older people. Oh. So, so uh, the, the average is around 60 years. Okay. Uh, so this, I think, is interesting because uh, since it's been demonstrated, uh, we demonstrated using the European Registry on Cushing Syndrome, using those data, that uh, there is uh, age-dependent differences in the clinical presentation uh, in uh, patients with active Cushing, and in particular, uh, patients, uh, older patients, uh, uh, more frequently have uh, osteoporosis as mm -hmm. compared with the, the younger. So I think it's particularly interesting to see that uh, during the follow-up, uh, probably there, there could be a synergic effect of previous exposure to uh, cortisol mm -hmm. on the one end and uh, progressive aging. So, so both may sure. interact uh, sure. to uh, induce a deterioration uh, of bone. So of course our data, uh, I didn't say that this was uh, a study, this study was performed on femoral neck, on the mm -hmm. proximal femur. So of course uh, we cannot say if this is associated with an increased uh, fracture risk, uh, of course, but this uh, should be elucidated in future studies. Yeah, yeah. So when we met, Mm -hmm. This was five or six years ago, I mm -hmm. or, or more. Mm -hmm. I can't yeah, maybe more. <laughs> maybe in 2019. 19. In Bilbao. No, it was before. It was in uh, actually in my in, in, oh in yeah, Madrid, Bilbao. in the neuroendocrine yeah. neuroendocrinology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you were you were doing a fascinating study on muscles mm -hmm. and acromegaly. Is that? finished or are you still working on it? Or? Yes, the, the study finished mm -hmm. and was published on the European yeah. Journal of Endocrinology. So we demonstrated that uh, in a patient's uh, controlled with controlled acromegaly, uh, there is uh, an increased fat accumulation, intramuscular fat accumulation, and this is associated with the impaired uh, muscle function mm -hmm. as assessed yeah. using different uh, uh, tests, so easy tests that can easily perform yeah. uh, uh, during the normal visit yeah, yeah. the outpatient clinic. Podcast specifically on that. On that, yes. Uh, maybe, you know, 30, 35 minutes. That would be great. Oh, yeah, great. So we, we performed, uh, you remember, yeah. I'm sure that you remember, yeah. uh, both in Cushing and uh, impatient with pushing and impatient with acromegaly. Yeah. yeah, I remember because we had uh, a lot of, in that, that article that you wrote, mm -hmm. I think it was in Spanish and English. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, yes. we had a lot of uh, interest, ah, okay. particularly from, from people that were wanting to train or get in yes. better shape mm -hmm. to understand what the, with acromegaly or pushing, what their limitations are and how they should be 
working yes. you know to, to increase their their uh, physical abilities so. yes, yes. And, you know the next steps are very really interesting step, uh, of course yeah. it will, it yeah. will be that so uh, so is there going to be an update on that or you're Sort of no, we now we have we are we are <laughs> studying yeah. the intramuscular structure. So we are uh, uh, look at the possible molecules and pathways within the uh, muscle the cells muscle. that can justify these changes we have uh, observed uh, by imaging. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and how um, how do you see? Um, I guess the the opportunities and uh, barriers in your work, mm -hmm. as you know, AI comes along and all this these changes. Um, how do you see uh, your your work progressing? Uh, do you do you mean what is the next step or in I just think in general terms, uh, uh -huh. you know, how how is technology affecting? your work today? Uh, a lot, uh, yeah. a lot because, uh, for example, in the study I mentioned uh, at the beginning, yeah. uh, we use this model based on finite element analysis. So, of course, in collaboration with engineers. So, as I said before, technology influence a lot because uh, we can uh, assess uh, parameters of a microstructure, which uh, some decades ago would have been completely impossible to do. Yeah, these are AI platforms. Artificial intelligence platforms. No? Uh, well, well, Some this is another uh, another issue, yeah. another uh, another fascinating aspect that is very timely indeed. So, using uh, inte artificial intelligence uh, in order to you know collect the database and select possible predictors mm -hmm. of everything, actually not potentially everything. Yeah. yeah. So, pituitary um, disease complications, uh, even after cure, or um, include in, um, very important in my opinion also to identify predictors predictors of relapse, for example, in Cushing disease, predictors of a therapeutic response. So uh, artificial intelligence is uh, That's the good is today, part of, yeah. it's not the future, it's no. here. And it's, and it's moving so fast yeah, 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 that by the time absolutely. we get done you know, learning, or at least thinking we understand it, yes. it's gone another... Uh, on another step, but that a, yeah. we have to you know, run yeah, after yeah. that. So I've seen it where you know, we've had I don't know, you know, about a year ago we started testing some platforms mm -hmm. and the knowledge, the AI sophistication has gotten so much better. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, faster. but uh, from one year to the other, so actually yeah, sometimes it's like six months. Six go, months, oh even, God, even six months. So, yeah. so well, probably this is uh, also, you know, somehow um, force us to uh, make some questions to ourselves in terms of, you know, ethical, uh, implications uh, and pri privacy, confidentiality, and a lot of things. So this yeah. has new challenges in yeah. terms of also, you know, you could say philosophical uh, and ethical and issues. you know, scary at the same time. Somehow, but probably we should misused. not be scared of technology <laughs> no, and no, progress now. No. But certainly, uh, yeah. since we are humans and we are brains, so probably yeah. we should, uh, you know, put limit. Which does not mean to you know neutralize the innovative effects, yeah. no? but uh, yeah. means simply to decide and establish uh, rules, uh, not to you know make uh, in trouble the human dignity, mm. no? because uh, ultimately right. yeah. it, it will be a paradox. Actually, yeah, no? yeah so. absolutely. <laughs> you know, it was very interesting because we've been testing 
this platform that uses voice cloning. I don't know if mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. AI yeah, 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 driven yeah, 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 voice yeah. cloning, audio learning, machine learning. Yes. So the platform basically takes you speaking in English video yeah. and will turn you in any language that you yes. can think of. <laughs> I think there's about 13 in the platform we're using. Yes. So we tested it and I actually you know the lip moves also like you're, so you're for all intents and purposes they're deep fakes yes, yes, yes. but for all intents and purposes you are speaking another language yeah, yeah. perfectly there are still some issues with like a robot yeah <laughs> with medical terminology no but it sounds it's your voice no 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 yeah yeah, sounds, yeah yeah but of course uh, so i you know for us that we've been trying to figure out how to publish to in different mm -hmm. languages you yes. Know, you know, it's been like, oh my God, how do you do yeah, that? Yeah, but also to elaborate concepts uh, using small, uh, you know, very few um, details, and uh, uh, artificial intelligence Let can, of course, in develop the, the entire text. Yeah, so this yeah. is particularly worrisome. Very, very much so. I'm uh, thinking of, uh, uh, you know, pupils uh, or students, uh, and also if you uh, you are eliminating the critical thinking. Yeah. So it's something that uh, it is caring now because. How do you uh, deal with that? In, in your, you teach, no? Uh, yes, yeah. at the university. So, yeah. yeah. Do you have you come across any? No, That's uh, good. at the moment, at the moment, no. Uh, yeah. We we try to you know um, organize uh, classes and uh, examinations yeah. uh, in some in, in ways that are not affected, yeah. but uh, they are tremendous. The, yeah. the students they know a lot of things that we ignore no. actually because yeah. they are very young. Well, and yeah, <laughs> well, there's been good platforms for plagiarism, you know, where people yeah. can pick them. Oh no, that's been written yeah, before. Yeah, and this is also uh, worrisome in terms of uh, scientific writing as well. I was extremely pleased to sit down with Dr. Manel Puj, who has contributed several articles to Pituitary World News. Currently, he is the head of endocrinology and nutrition at Hermann's Diaz Ipuhol University Hospital, and he is an associate professor of endocrinology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. We had a great discussion about his views on the nomenclature change from adenomas to pituitary neuroendocrine tumors, or PITNETs, which, as you may know, it has been quite controversial. He also gave us an update on the face recognition project he started a few years ago. Yeah, let's talk about the, uh, the new nomenclature of NETs and adenomas. That's what you were well, referring to. Yeah. yeah, we wrote an article on it because the Pituitary Society, as you know, came with, out with a saying, well, well, not so fast. So we wrote that article on it, and we got quite a bit of So what's your my, impression on it? My reflection regarding this point is that, uh, obviously, it doesn't, the new nomenclature doesn't cover or uh, the problem regarding uh, the tumors which are in the pituitary. In the, um, it has been, all this discussion has been raised on the side of the pathologist. And you have to have in mind that pituitary tumors are relatively frequent, more than we were thinking previously. So this means that there will be a lot of patients that will be not be requiring surgery and therefore if we just have a classification which is based on pathological um, characteristics this will uncover the whole uh, 
number of the older older tumors. Yeah. You know. Uh, but to me, I think that the, this discussion between pathologies and let's say the societies much more based on clinicians is somehow sterile because um, the arguments that have been given by both parts uh, have some historical background which at the end doesn't reflect the reality which mm -hmm. is that most of the tumors in the pituitary are benign their behavior clinically and biologically are benign while historically PIDNET has been assigned to tumors with much more aggressive and even uh, mortality related tumors mm -hmm. malignancies yes so this means that if we want to use the PIDNET which from the conceptual point of view could be acceptable but from my point of view, it doesn't cover the most important thing, which is uh, that any classification nowadays requires not just if we have to talk on a pit net or a, an adenoma, but we have to include in it some additional information which will be useful for clinicians yeah. in terms of predicting if this particular tumor will uh, have a in the near future mm -hmm. a bad uh, behavior meaning growth yeah. meaning invasiveness etc and also what would be the response to the different treatments particularly drugs that we are having for it you know yeah so we are trying to promote from our side some of us some of the um, physicians and technologies which have been the responsibility of treating of giving care to these patients with pituitary tumors uh, a new classification which will be much more informative you know yeah and uh, I would say that rather than overcoming this discussion between a group of experts in pathology and a group of clinical experts we will need to try to overcome this discussion and be uh, much more imaginative uh, in a way that a new classifications which will be more informative mm -hmm. with the biomarkers more or less we are having nowadays would be included yeah you know yeah but it's a pity but the only thing that has been after the new classification is that a lot of uh, discussion and arguments from both sides haven't not given to the movement uh, uh, from any of the both positions in order to so they're, they're converge. They still stand what they say yeah. in minute one, and this hasn't changed at all, even if different commissions have been organized uh, with mm -hmm. people with a lot of experience yeah. in order to try to go further. Yeah. So we are not just uh, approaching but even uh, giving more distance between the position yeah. this i think that this is somehow disappointing yeah you know well it complicates when it, it doesn't have to
It sounds too, yeah. at least to the layperson. Yeah, I don't know if you attended the European Congress of Endocrine Allergy. I did, no, I did well, not. I was part of a pro-contra in which my friend Diego Ferroni from Genoa has to be for the new classification and I was against, no? And, well, the Pituitary Society uh, and Maria Flesseri was in the first mm -hmm. row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thinking what these guys are gonna say, no? But um, we discussed that uh, there were reasons in any of the two parts for trying to keep uh, their positions, but both positions are insufficient if you want to make modern medicine. Yeah, you know? yeah. To stay with the old classification or to stay with the new one, in my view, doesn't, uh, is not enough. And this is why we think that it's possible to converge and to try to make a new classification, including all the elements we are using either from the clinical, radiological, pre-surgical situation or the post-surgical with the pathologies are there, with all the molecules they can uh, determine, they can study in yeah. the tumor sample, yeah. to be included in the report, and thereafter, to make a classification which will be more rich, but most uh, important, more useful for those that have to take the decision, and at the same time, sufficiently explainable to the patient. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, yeah. This, this is, I would say, the summary of my feeling regarding this, this situation, which has not been solved. No, no. We still yeah. are there, yeah. discussing, yes, no. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, the term adenoma, which means complete benignity, yeah. doesn't fit with those tumors that have uh, bad uh, behavioral, uh, biological uh, uh, evolution. Yeah. Uh, but most of the tumor are uh, not um, leading to a high morbid mortality because there are a lot of tumors that are discovered casually, incidentally. Yeah, it, seem, in, yeah, uh, it seems like it would be um, from, we hear from advocacy groups, patients that they yeah. feel patients are gonna get confused yeah. and scared yeah. because it's it's under this this uh, oncology label. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. so I think that we have to be sufficient intelligent to go further and to overcome this group of, of, of lobby, lobby group, lobby group. Uh, the lobby of the clinicians, yeah. the lobby of the pathologists, which have to work together. Yeah. So they have to, uh, to have a, a language which will be useful for both and not confusing for the patient, yeah. not giving to a fear, feeling, etc. No? Yeah, there's also the, that we heard, and I uh, know what your feeling is, but with the U.S., with insurance issues, I don't know, in Spain, where they're going to make it more difficult for people to get the correct treatment, yeah. because and now all of a sudden this is in a uh, in a completely different yeah, segment. Yeah, even it might change the um, amount you have to pay for receiving uh, medical Medi coverage if the nomenclature seems that you might have a cancer or yeah. an oncology, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, smell, uh, etc. No? So for me, I would keep the word tumor because everybody knows that the tumor could have a different, uh, the, the, when you tell someone that he has a tumor, the first, the next question is, is it benign or malign? Exactly. So 
we keep tumor, but we use other complementary mm, qualifications regarding uh, if it expressed this or that, or this is what I would try to make as simple as possible, because if we make a classification, it's plenty of different subclassifications. Yeah. It will be not very much useful. Yeah, you know. it's, it seems like it should simplify instead yeah. of complicate. So <laughs> the things which are, when are very simple are mm, quite far from the, the truth. Yeah. But if you want to put all the info and you have a mega classification with 25 different subtypes, then you, 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 at the end you are crazy about it and, and this will not be that useful, you know. Yeah. So we have to be... Uh, going on with more pragmatism uh, but obviously we'll have to go further yeah this, this so this is not solved no but this situation is, is a little bit stupid the patient groups that we talk to are hearing from their members saying this is not going to be good for patients uh, it doesn't advance in certain way it might confuse it might in some country like the US it might change the status of the patient, therefore the uh, insurance policy, mm -hmm. change of category. I mean, these, concept, these, these implications are of importance, yeah. uh, but in my view, most important overall is that these two classifications are still 20th century classifications, yeah. and I think that we require 21st century classification. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about now your, uh, if you want to, whatever you can tell me well, on, on how your project is moving with the uh, yes. facial recognition. I mean, the first is uh, why to do, uh, why to write, why to, to build a, uh, a recognition, facial recognition uh, 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 tool. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the objective, the aim is to try to identify people at risk uh, much earlier than we are doing now, which uh, we can say um, without any doubt that most, if not 99% of the diagnosis are made uh, in uh, a situation in which the patient is having at least 20, uh, 10 years or even 15 or more years of the disease progressing uh, and uh, when it is so evident uh, everybody yeah. uh, uh, cannot miss the diagnosis but when the phenotypical changes are in the way and the rest of systemic uh, meaning different organs uh, uh, damage is not so developed that would uh, be very beneficial obviously for the patient, but for everything. Uh, in terms of cura, curability probably will be much easier because yeah. the tumor will be smaller, meaning that the easier uh, to surgical excision will probably be much easier. Uh, obviously, all the costs related to the burden comorbidities uh, will be also less, so it's beneficial for everybody. The difficulty Mm -hmm. is to prepare a uh, tool which would be sufficiently uh, efficient uh, to uh, bring us the possibility of recognizing persons which are having at least half of the time 
for evolution that we are using now. Um, this initiative have started about 10 years ago, but at this time, and the first publication was including Martin Bikin as one of the co-authors, was made with um, the computational vision tools that we had about 10 years ago, but now uh, obviously this uh, part of the science, mm -hmm. computer, computer vision analysis have changed dramatically. New intelli artificial intelligence based solutions are using for everything yeah. and also in the field of uh, computational vision. And uh, in the last five years, some investigators, engineers, mostly in China and Asia have prepared with a good number of uh, pictures yeah, of patients yeah, yeah. Uh, the software for facial recognition. Moreover, what was difficult in terms of acquiring the images would require some specific camera. Now, with the new systems, we can do it just with the phone uh, pictures. Yeah. In the the analysis is not just made with a two-dimension 2D, but now the new tools which we are having, they can transform a 2D in a 3D with a single picture, single 2D picture, meaning that not just we are analyzing geometrical differences between the eyes, the nose, the lips, etc., but we can also test and compare uh, from a data set of normal non-acromegaly people, we can compare the volumes. So this is another way to um, get analysis. And as you know, with all this artificial intelligence technology, we can analyze thousands oh, yeah. of data. This is the power of these systems. Yeah. So when you have made the work of including ma as many uh, pictures as possible compared to non-disease people um, and you train the machine to know that picture A is a very uh, long-standing acromegaly picture, picture B is just half and picture C is very very few data then the machine which is learning this standard yeah could confrontate the images you want to submit to the machine, what is the score regarding this standard that this specific picture has. Mm -hmm. And we uh, have uh, need to make a, a specific software uh, with the current um, procedures of uh, artificial intelligence we are now having, because there were no updated uh, systems uh, in Caucasian population. The oh. things that have been made with Asian people with might have some ethnical bias. Asians, yeah. We don't know if they are <coughs> replicable or useful in non-Asian, non-Chinese, non-Taiwan, non-Korean. Yeah. So we have, we, we, the need was to update the technology with a data set which is relatively limited that we have been using uh, pictures which have uh, been sent to us from the Spanish um, Patient Association of Acromegaly. Mm -hmm. We asked them 
to send us uh, a set of pictures which were going 10 years before the diagnosis was made. They have these people of the association yeah. have looked for the pictures from 10 okay. years before the diagnosis. So eventually the picture from minus 10 years to the minus one or the diagnosis has changed. Change, yeah. So we have built the system, the, the software, and now we have it. And what it's the goal is to try to confront the pictures of general populations and as the prevalence of the disease, yeah. the frequency of the disease in the population is very low, we need thousands yeah. of yeah. pictures, you know. But for, for doing so, what we have done is to contact with big companies, particularly uh, car builder, car manufacturers, uh, which have health uh, services, internal health services, they have the pictures. So we know the health status of the patient and we have a nurse and a doctor which eventually can recontact yeah. the, the, the patient or the, the, the person. And now we are testing how efficient and which will be the cutoff value of the score we have made uh, to see if we are able to detect new cases. Yeah. This is what we are doing now. And just with the car maker uh, Seat company, which has about 18,000 people working in Spain, the whole group, they have pictures yeah. in the health services of this company. Uh, the people working there, the workers sign an agreement through which we can use their pictures for making the experimental analysis and to see how it's going on. And we're just starting this way. Yeah, no? it seems like a slow process, no? Yeah, Yeah. but what's, what, what, what's good is that we can use the pictures from the phone and the system goes very Much quickly, faster. meaning that we can feed the server with hundreds of pictures in, yeah, in yeah. two hours, you know, yeah. and it goes very fast. Yeah. So it's just a matter of receiving the pictures, yeah. making the analysis, and now we will make the first uh, setup of results and to see uh, if certain score is really identifying or not. This is, uh, we are at this point. It's so interesting because it makes so much sense, you know, yeah. visually to be, but particularly using the, the AI uh, capabilities and, yeah. and the machine learns so fast. Yes, it's just exponential. How yeah, we have made this work in in months. Yeah, with the engineers here in the city of Tarragona, South Barcelona, which uh, they are working in the University of Tarragona, University de and this is a group of uh, computational vision, you know. Yeah, uh, and they work specifically in in health issues. Yeah. Because you know that this field has dramatically increased. It's in any modern airport, just to compare if the picture you have in your passport is the one that the machine is facing. So it's, it's just as uh, uh, simple as yeah. conceptually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a picture which is the standard. I see if this person is the one or not. If it's yes, okay, you can go through. Yeah, yeah. It's and all biometrics. Yeah, and a long line to go to the police, the police look at you, etc. And the, the question is the machines are more precise than the 
visual recognition by a person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. And this is why I think that we have to keep working on that to make the software mm, as uh, precise as possible. And as you said, as you mentioned, if you continuously are feeding with new cases, the machine is enriched, so the system is much more robust, yeah. and the precision will be gaining and gaining. Yeah, yeah so it's, it, you know. it's very interesting because the control of the data going in, after the data is good going in, then the result will be will be much, much more. You cannot do this no. this way, but if you work with expert people, engineers, and you feed with the score that as an endocrinology you have considered that is a acromegaly of, let's say, moderate expression, yeah. high expression or very high expression, then you give the, 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 the score to the machine and then the machine has learned that with this picture the score is two, exactly. that with this picture the score is five, or that with this picture the score is eight. Yeah. Uh, truly a fascinating subject, facial recognition and biometrics to recognize changes that can lead to early suspicion and eventually a diagnosis. Now I, I really had the great pleasure of seeing my very good friend Dr. Javier Salvador who recently retired from uh, clinical practice but will continue teaching. Dr. Salvador is a professor at the University of Navarra and I'm happy to say in retirement he will be working on his skills, surfing skills, for years to come. Uh, we talked about endocrine education, awareness, technology, early diagnosis, and his new very interesting assignment teaching medical ethics. All right. I, I, I'm sure I have some uh, teaching activities in the Faculty yeah. of Medicine, yeah. but you know, uh, I have been uh, teaching on endocrinology uh, from 1980 and 1981 to 2020. So it's a lot of years. But just when I retired from clinical practice, I said, right, uh, so I'm going, uh, I, I, I'm getting out from the University Clinic of Navarra. I'm getting out from clinical practice or from seeing yeah, patients, from patients yeah. and so I think in my opinion the endocrinology, clinical endocrinology should be taught by people who are still working on clinic, on clinical practice. So I said I'm not going to, to, uh, to, uh, to teach more on endocrinology. And so the, uh, the, the dean of the faculty of medicine told me, uh, please, would you like to, uh, to be involved in other, in other uh, teaching activity just yeah, in the just faculty? Just stay of connected. And, 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 yeah, that's fine. And, uh, and they asked me to, uh, to teach about medical integrity. Yeah. This is a new, uh, new discipline in, uh, in the faculty of medicine, which is called um, medical identity. And inside medical identity, this for instance, medical integrity that is um, included in other in other uh, other other aspects are also included, yeah. such uh, let's say uh, working team uh, uh, teamwork yeah. teamwork yeah. in medicine, which is very multidisciplinary, important. multidisciplinary yeah. communication, uh, the uh, capacity to communicate with patients yes. with other colleagues, etc. Bedside and, uh, manners. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
And, uh, and, and so uh, I, was in, I am in charge of the uh, Seminar of, Integri of Medical Integrity, and we have a four-hour seminar uh, we, that we, uh, we give uh, six times a year. And, uh, and on that, in those four hours, we, are, we have a section dedicated to integrity with patients, other sections, uh, other sections dedicated to integrity with uh, communication media, mm -hmm. with, with newspaper, yeah. uh, journalists, etc. Other section dedicated to um, uh, integrity with uh, pharmaceutical companies. You know, yeah. We organize a, 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 a debate uh, where a, a, a doctor uh, defends the position of in favor of the, the in medical industry, uh, pharmaceutical industry, yeah, yeah. and other just against that position. So it's really very interesting how oh, they yeah. interact, and, and 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 then to to see the. The questions that the medical students uh, ask to those, those yeah. both speakers. And so it's like an Oxford-style debate. Where yeah, you that's debate. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah. I mean, I mean, a constructive. Debate. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I mean, we, we know that in some particular occasions, uh, medical industry, as I mean, is not so. Uh, this is not an in, in example of integrity, but uh, we need pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, yeah. We need, otherwise, we, oh, we, sure. there will not be medical congresses, sure. medical meetings, nothing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there should be some kind of regulation in order to uh, um, to prevent that the medical industry could affect the relationship between the doctors and, and, the, doctors patient. and patients. Yeah. And which is. Which happens in a very interesting way. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. There are, yeah. there are plenty yeah. of papers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That topic, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's very, very interesting. And yeah. uh, the uh, other section, interesting section, is uh, dedicated to uh, integrity with clinical investigation. Mm. You know, uh, clinical trials, for instance. Yeah. The, uh, the inclusion of patients in clinical trials. Yes. And uh, and how it should be uh, the criteria. I mean, you, I mean, these things are really important because many medical students are going to be involved in clinical yeah. trials. Yeah. In a many years. And they have to, you're going to have to deal with it when they That's start right. That's right. practicing. That's right. Sure. And the final section is the uh, deals with uh, professionalism, and. Uh, and I usually speak to students about the, uh, the, uh, the curriculum, for instance, the importance to, uh, to go away, to, uh, to learn um, some mm -hmm. speciality or some, uh, some, uh, to, to get some new information in other countries, yeah. let's say the US, the UK, or I mean, no, others, Germany, etc. And uh, that's really important too. And the, the importance of to get balance between the professional activity and the personal life, mm -hmm. which is really right. very important. Because otherwise, you know, medicine can, is, can is a tremendous attraction, excels a tremendous attraction yeah. on, the, on the, your, your life. And then in some, in some occasions, some, some situations can interfere with the uh, with the um, your personal life i mean the family with the family with friends etc yeah. that's very important yeah so that's, that's that, my, that's how my interesting because it's so creative no yeah in the way you can approach it to, to, yeah. to teach this yeah that's right because yeah. i mean i am convinced that, that in medicine in at the present time uh, there is a very huge increase in the importance of technology yeah 
huge, very huge increase in, in uh, analytics, and, uh, imaging techniques, and functional techniques, etc., genetics, etc. But uh, I, am, I believe, I am really convinced that uh, in the medicine, the relationship between the doctor and patients, the relationship between doctors and colleagues, the relationship with the uh, research activities, Real, the integrity is really a key mm -hmm. factor. Yeah, how interesting. Well, it's not very usual because it's not taught yeah. usually in, that's in right. medical school. That's right, right. So not you, at all. It's like a pioneering. Not at all. Yeah, that's Something right. that you can that's right. showcase I think that I, I, I think that Harvard University has got some Something. teaching activities yeah. similar to to this, but I think it's really very yeah. relevant. And so I'm I, I not teaching. I, I, I would like... I would be happy to teach endocrinology, yeah. but, but you've been as, doing I, as I said before, I don't think After I, I have to do that. years, yeah, you want to do that's something right, else, That's right, that's right, that's right. I can and, imagine. Uh, and I think it's very relevant. So, uh, to keep in touch with medical students, it makes you younger. Yeah. Do you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, because you, you're, sure. you're seeing the, uh, the um, problems of the of medical students when they are, they are, let's say, 20, 20 years of, of yeah. I mean, really very yeah. young people. You know, I go to the University of California, Berkeley. Yeah. Berkeley, yeah. Every year I do a, a, a presentation to yeah. first to second year medical students. Yeah. And I talk about what we do with pituitary release, but I also yeah. talk about endocrinology, yeah. as little as I know about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really a fascinating experience. Fascinating experience. those kids, I can tell you, yeah. none of them will ever miss. Yeah. An acromegaly case. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I see. I mean, this is a fantastic objective. Yes, I mean, this yeah, is a, yeah. really, it's, it's very good, very, very important, and yeah. very interesting. But again, I think the uh, the relationship between humans, between professionals, uh, regarding med dealing with medicine, yeah, dealing with critical. the disease, de dealing with the with people suffering, the the. Many diseases. Yeah, I think it's It's really yeah. very, very. We have an important need yeah. to, uh, to teach yeah, the students I, about yeah, that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because so many times it's not even thought of. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm a really, uh, I'm a little bit sad yeah. because I mean I would like to to be really uh, in touch with endocrinology, the new development. Yeah. And in fact, I work especially in obesity at present time, yeah. but uh, near endocrine. Well, your, your presentation last year on obesity was yeah. excellent. Yeah. We yeah. have it. And then I remember the doctor, uh, I think it was Carell. See, yeah, it was Carell Leroux. Yeah, 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 that's right. Excellent. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's very excellent. It, it, it's, a must, it, it's really a, a, a real master yeah. in obesity. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed this perspective. Please stay tuned for more from our Spanish collaborators and friends, and check out Pituitary World News in Español. I want to say a special big thank you to Vanessa Martin and Ana Serrano from Berbes Communications from f uh, for facilitating our work and making us feel at home. Thank you. And to all of you, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.